torrential rains in central and southern Taiwan have caused heavy damage to corn, peanut and other crops. According to the Council of Agriculture, crop damage from flooding now stands at more than 216 million NT. Council of Agriculture Minister Chen Qizong said that farmers across the entire affected region will be eligible for disaster relief. This farmer holds up a watermelon that's rotted beyond recognition. On the saturated field, melons are ruined as far as the eye can see. It's been raining since the end of July. When inspecting the damage, the Minister of Agriculture got stuck in mud in a greenhouse flooded by fierce downpours. As of Sunday, agricultural losses have exceeded 216 million NT. The worst hit area has been Yunlin, with more than 50 million NT in damages, followed by Pingdong, Nanto, Tainan and Jiayi, with some 30 million NT each. The top five ruined crops are papaya, peanut, longan, lufa and corn. President Tsai Ing-wen went south to Jiayi and Yunning on Monday to inspect the damage and reach out to distressed farmers. Have all of you been affected? I believe that in the coming few days, the number of affected farmers will continue to rise. All of you, raise your hands earlier. I do feel a bit of worry, but don't you worry, because the government will stand with all of you. We will do our best to help you through your difficulties. The president has instructed us to hurry up. So we announced today that in Zhanghua, Yunlin, Jiayi, Tainan, Kaohsiung and Pingdong, in all of these cities and counties, all agricultural products and all farmers are eligible. Farmers can apply for assistance at their local township office. President Tsai has ordered that relief funds be issued quickly and with little hassle for the applicants. According to the COA, Zhanghua and all six cities and counties south of it are eligible for agricultural disaster relief and low-interest loans. The COA plans also to help farmers clear their fields and resume operations as soon as possible. Staying on that story, electricity has now been restored to three mountain communities in Kaohsiung's Taoyuan district that lost power last Saturday. Torrential rain had battered the area over the weekend, causing the blackout. The resulting flooding also destroyed a bridge, leaving 500 people with no road out. On Monday, a Black Hawk helicopter delivered vital supplies to the stranded villages. Transport Minister Wang Guotai went to the site to inspect the damage, saying that rebuilding the bridge would take at least 16 days. This means that for at least that period, farmers won't be able to ship out their crops for sale. Mango farmers say they will turn their crop into dried fruit to minimize their losses. We turn now to the epidemic. An Australian epidemiologist has hailed Taiwan for curbing its COVID outbreak in a matter of months. Writing on Twitter, Zoe Hyde said that though Taiwan was hit by a major outbreak, it never gave up on COVID containment, bringing the daily case count down from a peak of 723 cases on May 22nd to just 10 on August 7th. Last Sunday on Father's Day, Taiwan saw its lowest local COVID case count since the outbreak in mid-May. It was an encouraging sign that normal life could be back soon. 
Back in May, Hyde wrote on Twitter that complacency led to the downfall of Taiwan, which was once a COVID success story. Last Saturday on Twitter, she noted that Taiwan reported only 10 local cases that day. Taiwan faced a major COVID outbreak in May, but it never gave up on the goal of zero COVID, she wrote. Thanks to Taiwan for another success. Very few countries have been able to control their epidemics within two months. Just look at the European countries. It has already been a year and a half and there are still many confirmed cases. This French national had high praise for Taiwan for having contained its epidemic within two months. Zhongyuan Christian University professor Zhao Mingwei shared on Facebook that in the 2021 FM Global Resilience Index, Taiwan ranked 29th out of 130 countries for the resilience of its business environment. The higher the ranking, he said, the less affected the country's economy has been by the pandemic. Singapore placed 12th, Japan 25th, South Korea 31st, and China 71st. Only three Asian countries made it to the top 25%, and Taiwan was one of them. This came down to all of Taiwan's people working together to control the epidemic. In particular, the Central Epidemic Command Center has toiled tirelessly to bring it under control. This miracle was created by all of Taiwan's people. There's at last a glimmer of light in the midst of the pandemic. Looking back at the numbers since May 19th, Taiwan's daily case count reached its peak on May 22nd, with 723 cases, including those added retroactively. But following a national COVID prevention campaign, that figure dropped to 75 one month later, falling back down to the double digits for the first time. The numbers have only continued to decline since. The daily tally has reached the single digits, and the last mile aims to get it to zero. Now to Indonesia. Taiwanese expats wait in a long line at Jakarta's international airport. It's Sunday and they are here to board their long-awaited flight home. Amid a worsening COVID outbreak, Indonesia's death toll has surpassed 100,000 and commercial flights to Taiwan have long been suspended. Last month, the Taiwan Chamber of Commerce arranged a charter flight for these expats, but the trip was later called off by the airline. Taiwanese expats wait in a long line at Jakarta's International Airport. It's Sunday and they're here to board the long-awaited flight home. Amid a worsening COVID outbreak, Indonesia's death toll has surpassed 100,000 and commercial flights to Taiwan have long been suspended. The Taiwan Chamber of Commerce arranged a charter flight for these expats last month, but the trip was called off by the airline. There seemed to have been a financial problem. The bank wouldn't let the plane leave. Later, I reached out to Garuda Indonesia. That's Indonesia's state-run airline. Yesterday, as we stepped into our own Taiwan Taoyun International Airport, everybody felt it was like coming home. CDC personnel wore full protective suits and two layers of face masks as they greeted evacuees from Indonesia at Taoyuan's airport. Last month, due to financial problems, Indonesia's Batik Air had called off its charter flight for 120 Taiwanese expats. Following efforts from Taiwan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the Indonesia-Taiwan Chambers of Commerce, the Taiwan-Indonesia Tourism Development Exchange Association and Taiwan lawmakers, another charter flight was arranged. On Sunday, four of the 120 Taiwanese tested COVID positive at the airport in Indonesia, but the others were able to board a Garuda Indonesia flight that arrived in Taiwan around 11 in the evening. 
That Indonesian airline had not flown to Taiwan for five years, so many of its documents weren't in order. Generally, it takes about 30 business days to sort them all out. Taiwanese expats who wanted to come back sooner had to have an intermediary to handle the coordination. Legislator Chen Opu was that intermediary who coordinated the various agencies. Indonesia has nearly become another India. There are more than 50,000 cases a day. The rate of testing positive is nearly 50 percent. Everybody wants to come back. They think Taiwan is safer. Indonesia is under siege by the Delta COVID variant. Cases soared in May after Eid al-Fitr celebration. In late June, the CECC designated Indonesia as a high-risk country and flights were suspended, making it difficult for expats in Indonesia to return. Last Sunday, at long last, a great measure of relief was achieved for the evacuees. A travel bubble between Taiwan and Palau could relaunch as early as Saturday after being suspended due to the COVID outbreak in May. The health chief announced Monday that, as before, travellers returning from Palau will not need to quarantine. They will be required to undergo five days of enhanced self-health management and nine days of regular self-health management. Let's hear from him. No quarantine upon returning to Taiwan, but travelers will still be required to monitor their health. Our COVID procedures are now focused on keeping arrivals from Palau separated from other international arrivals. Traditionally, the market for Palau travel has mostly been for five-day stays. But this time around, demand is extremely high for four-day packages. I think the reason might be that travelers are going to Palau to get vaccinated. Taiwan tourists who use the travel bubble will, get, will be able to get vaccinated for COVID during their stay. However, travel agencies are still prohibited from organizing group tours for the purpose of vaccination. Already, the Tourism Bureau has asked one travel agency to alter a tour package that features vaccination as an activity. Taiwan's athletics team came home from Tokyo without medals on Monday. In a press conference, track coach Sun Yanzhu said his athletes were bitterly disappointed in their performance at the Olympics. Chen Jie and Hank didn't hit their targets, and so they were a bit crestfallen those few days. To prepare for next year's Asian Games, they started training three days after competing in their Olympic events. Everyone really worked very hard. Nobody wants to perform badly on the field. Everyone really did do their best. The track coach said his team had been under immense pressure from the Taiwanese public and from themselves. Javelin thrower Zhang Zhaotun, who was tipped for a gold medal, had crashed out early without qualifying for the finals. Taiwan has finished the Olympics with two golds, four silvers and six bronzes to rank 34th in the world. At the top of the table is the US with 39 golds, followed closely by China with 38. For some people in China, being number two has been a hard pill to swallow. So hard, in fact, that one internet user created a new ranking that places China at the top by padding its total with Taiwan's medals.
On Saturday, Chinese state media CCTV blasted the U.S. for presenting the Olympic medal table in a way that puts the U.S. at the top. The New York Times, The Washington Post, and Olympic broadcaster NBC, without exception, chose to rank participating teams according to the total medal tallies. The reason for this is simple. This ranking method is different from the method used by the International Olympic Committee. It ensures that the U.S. is number one. One internet user says U.S. media is presenting an unrealistic version of the ranking. It's prejudiced, and it's an American-style way to claim victory. As of Saturday. China had 38 golds and 87 medals in total, while the U.S. had 36 golds and 108 medals. But on the final day of the Olympics, Team USA scored another three golds, catapulting it to the top of the rankings for both golds and overall. CCTV has since taken down the video, but some Chinese internet users still insist that China is number one. This homemade medal table puts China at the top by adding medals won by Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Macau. A Taiwan lawmaker says this table is a reflection of China's bad sportsmanship. This self-congratulatory behavior by Chinese internet users show how conceited Chinese people are, claiming medals that don't belong to them. Taking Taiwan's, Hong Kong's, and Macau's medals is absolutely ludicrous. It's absurd. It's not normal, and it makes no sense. Even going to such lengths does not put back together the fragile egos of the Chinese. Chinese nationalism rose to the fore several times during the Tokyo Olympics. Last week, Taiwanese entertainer Di Xu. Used the term national team on her social media and was targeted by Chinese trolls. Influencer Ray Du has also drawn attention for celebrating Taiwan's medals on Facebook, writing that he was proud of the national team. Below his post, someone left a comment that said "China Taipei team." Du hit back, saying it was Team Taiwan and one country on each side. The Olympics may be over, but toe-to-toe competition is living on on the internet. The curtain has come down on Tokyo 2020, a games for our pandemic era, and a unique Olympics ends in a unique way. Athletes must complete two weeks quarantine in a hotel before they are free. But the hotel we're visiting is putting on a gourmet quarantine like no other. The hotel chef has prepared a different dish for every meal of the two weeks. Athletes are enjoying a fortnight of kicking back and relaxing. Coming into their room, athletes find bags upon bags of food awaiting them. Badminton gold medalist Li Yang quipped, "Looks like I'll be putting on weight, and there's a full menu each day too." Thick steaks sizzle in the pan alongside vegetable dishes, shrimp, steamed eggs, garlic, pork. Boxes line up for the athletes, each one full of delicious and nutritious meals. There are 70 different dishes in all. I want the athletes staying here to eat something different for every meal. And there are sweets too. The rooms are stocked with the hotel's own special pastries: Basque burnt cheesecake, macarons, you name it. The Taekwondo team was first to land, and last week their quarantine was up. Taekwondo star Huang Yuren piled a trolley up with bags full of the snacks he couldn't finish. When I got back and saw the instant noodles in the room, I was so happy. But when I started eating everything, I realized I had no space for instant noodles. I think I've put on two kilograms. Luo Jialing has left quarantine too. She had a hand-shaking drink almost every day of isolation. Actually, I. 
I haven't started looking at the scales yet. I thought for these few days, I would just let myself go, you know. After the immense pressures of Tokyo 2020, some indulgence is the least these athletes deserve. The national games are coming up soon, and with all the training, they'll soon burn those kicks off again. After three months, swimming pools are finally about to reopen. Health Minister Chen Zizong announced partial reopening of the pools from August 10th to the delight of the industry. There are lots of rules to adhere to and visitor numbers will be curtailed. But many swimming pools are relieved to reopen at all. We visited one venue to see how they will renew their services while staying safe. In normal times, a pool would be packed out on a hot summer like this. But pools have been closed ever since Level 3 began in May. Now at last, the CECC says they can start to reopen on August 10th. Swimming pools will be removed from the suspended venues list on August 10th. Swimming teachers and coaches are ecstatic. Swimming schools are preparing to reopen and pools are filling up with fresh water. I think for swimming pools, three months is really an extreme limit. Actually, we may not make any money when we reopen, but the main thing is to get our employees back into regular employment. We hope life can gradually get better again. But the CECC is still insisting on lots of rules. Our approach will be, of course, managing crowds through maximum limits. Maximum capacities will be calculated based on the number of lanes and their length. Swimmers will be allowed timed entry slots. Each slot must be spaced at least 30 minutes from the next. The venue must be disinfected. Entry must be pre-booked or registered manually with real name registration. For now, we will not allow subsidiary facilities to reopen. That includes showers, saunas, steam rooms and children's play pools. Eating and drinking should be avoided in the venue. If there is a cafe on site, it can only provide takeaway. Within the venue, masks should be worn and social distancing observed at all times except when in the water. Swimming classes should be for a maximum of 10 students only. Staff should monitor their health and a contingency plan should be drawn up to handle any infections among staff. Normally our classes are for mixed ages. Each teacher has 10 to 12 students. Now it will be one teacher to four students. Right now we are using these two masks in the pool. One has a hard case. This is a soft case. The soft case can let water out so you can wear it while swimming. At this pool, they're not yet planning to reopen to individual swimmers. Teachers will wear these specially made transparent masks while teaching. Each student will be given a mask and a certificate of attendance. For swimming lovers, it's finally time to get back in the water. Now, Ghost Festival is just around the corner at the end of August. Normally, families would head to a local temple to make offerings to restless spirits and pray for peace. With COVID still haunting the country, visiting temples doesn't seem like an easy choice this year. But there is a solution. Get a company to deliver offerings directly to a temple on your behalf. You can even arrange Ghost Festival oblations at a convenience store. A customer stands at the convenience store service machine and picks Ghost Festival box. After COVID went on the rampage through Taiwan, plans for the big Ghost Month festivities had to be rewritten. One socially distant solution is getting the convenience store to handle your ghostly offerings. It saves you a lot of time. I think it's very convenient, and I agree with this way of doing things. 
it's a bit safer to do it online. I think people still want to make offerings and pray for peace. The service will pick out all your ritual offerings and send them straight to the temple. This convenience store is working with three of Taiwan's biggest temples, Dajia Zhenlan Temple, Beigang Uda Temple, and Beigang Chaotian Temple. They say that three weeks ahead of the holiday, sales are twice what they were last year. To further reduce the spread of COVID, stores are working with delivery platforms to deliver to your home everything you'll want to mark Ghost Festival in your house. Customers are tending toward zero contact or online shopping this Ghost Festival. Because of the pandemic, they're more convenient. This year, we've expanded our service to three big temples and offering an online Ghost Festival stand-in service. Family Mart has got three big temples on board. 7-Eleven is also working with Beigang Chaotian Temple, offering an oblation box package which it expects will sell up to 20% better this year. OK Mart is partnered with Lugang Mazu Temple and will send them a big box of ritual food offerings. They're also going to livestream the festivities at the temple and hope for profits to grow by 20 to 30%. Supermarket chain PX Mart is also in the game. They'll send your box to Beigang Uda Temple. If you make your prayers through the temple, you can reduce the human-to-human -human contact. I can't say how much profits will grow. We want to maintain the same profits as last year. We used to make offerings at home. Grandma and Grandpa would get all the things. This year, because of COVID, we worry that if they go to the temple, they'll be around many people. We have some concerns. Although going to the temple is a risky bet this year, retailers say offerings are bigger than ever. Perhaps in the midst of a pandemic, prayers for peace and protection seem especially important. We may not be able to gather as normal, but traditions to mark the cycles of life are alive as ever.